6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Hi, Spencer. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jalen. Boy, oh boy, Spencer, what a what a journey you have been on over the past number of months. Let's go back in time a little bit and, and take me back to 2010 in Afghanistan. You you taught at a school there? Right. I was I was teaching at a, a school called Ashiana that teaches um taught street kids in, in Kabul. And um I was just I was teaching for for my summer holidays actually and Worked, worked with some really wonderful Afghan teachers and, and people there and, and, um, and just kept in touch with them over the years. So, yeah, um, really an incredible experience and incredible people. So take me back then to this summer when, when the world saw the Taliban taking control back of Afghanistan you were in contact with some of these friends that you um, had, well, you had been in touch again with some of these folks that you had stayed in contact with. What what was their thought? What were, what did they tell you? How concerned were they about about what was happening? Well, actually what happened, Jalen, is, is even before Kabul fell, um, uh, uh, a guy that I was teaching with, a guy named uh, Naveed Safi, he actually reached out to me. Naveed's wife, uh, Mashala, is was a school teacher at, at the at the school Ashiana, and they did teach girls, which is forbidden among certain segment of the population within Afghanistan. And and she actually had boiling water. As she left the school, she had boiling water thrown in, into her face. And then they, they actually had subsequent death threats against them leading up to this time where, where kind of the momentum was shifting, where it looked like things were going to topple in Afghanistan. So that had actually happened before. Mm. And, and Naveed had actually reached out to me before before Kabul fell and said, can, can you help us get out of here? And it's absolutely no question. So then that's when we just started to you know take the steps at that time. And, um, you know, it just so happened that within probably the month, Kabul fell so quickly. I don't think anyone was expecting it to go that quick. So uh, we were already in the process when Kabul had, was, was, was falling. Tell me about the Safi family. Tell me about uh, Naveed, Mashallah, and the kids. Well, uh, Naveed was his first job when I was there. He was... Um, he was a finance um, uh, uh, manager for the school, but he had, he had since got his law degree and was, was practicing as a human rights lawyer. So he was an advocate for, for children and, and women's rights uh, within Afghanistan. And um, he was not married when I was there in 2010, but him and Michelle got married and, and subsequently had, had children, three kids three small kids. So I, I didn't know the children before this happened. Just, you know, you see pictures or, or whatnot on, on social media. So um, my main, you know, uh, relationship was, was with Naveen. And we just, you know, a friendship. When he was there, he was a young guy. I was a younger guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just friends. And then you just keep touch through social media or whatever. And, and um, uh, 
yeah, just, I mean, when, when someone is in that sort of need and they reach out to you, pretty difficult. I think most people would probably have taken the same steps and, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'll help. Spencer, um, when Kabul fell, there was desperate attempts to get this family out of Afghanistan. Can you tell us what happened? Wow, that what an experience that was. So when I when I left Afghanistan, I I, I brought some dogs back. There's some there's a stray dog, stray mum dog, or, or something. I guess house, and I ended up getting these dogs back to Canada, getting them adopted to great owners, and it was a real real good story. So when Kabul had started to was was starting to fall, I'd also kept in touch with some of the animal rescue stuff in, in, in Kabul. And they reached out to me there that they're going to get some dogs out. And they reached out to me and said, you know, can you help get these dogs into Canada? Absolutely, I can, no problem. And then it was just around the same time that I heard from Naveed. So I, so I reached out and I said, hey, I've got this family because they were getting their workers out as well or making, making plans too. And I said, hey, I've got this family. Can you help me? And it was just one of those things where, you know, someone who knows someone. So the, the lady that was operating the animal rescue took care of some of the lady who issued the P1 or the visa, the American visas from the State Department. She was looking after her cats. So she owed her one. Showed her the picture of Michelle, which is quite shocking. And we had their American P1 visa status like within probably a day. So that was a huge shot in the arm and that kind of pushed us forward. So when Kabul started to fall, we had an opportunity to get them out to the Americans. Um, and that was a, a, a hair-raising you know, ordeal when, when that happened because all of all of Afghanistan had descended onto the airport as we saw those horrific pictures. Mm-hmm. So now the Safi family were actually had priority to leave. They were supposed to leave on, on one of the, the American transports and they were actually at the airport. I think they, they were camped out there for three days. Kids saw someone get shot right in front of them. It was just absolute bedlam. And then what had happened is the Americans through uh, intermediary contacted me, we knew that those attacks were going to happen before they happened at the airport. The Americans knew. So the Pentagon contacted um, someone who contacted me to get those people out of there right mm-hmm. now. Um, right now, the attack is imminent. So that was the first attack. So I got, so then I'm texting Naveed in real time. We moved them back. They said, get them out of there. So he moved back still within the, the area of the airport. And then we're getting messages again from the American military. And this was shortly after saying they knew that two suicide bombers were coming in. They, they already knew that. We didn't know this, but they texted me and said, get them 10 kilometers away hmm. because they had drones and the drones ended up taking them out. But as we know, like when the drones take out the suicide bombers, if you happen to be somewhere in the vicinity, it doesn't go well for anybody. Mm -mm. So we got the Safi family out 
of the area. They went home to shelter in place as directed. Later that night, I got a text that said, look, can you get them to Northgate at midnight? This is where it kind of gets crazy. Is there was a, there's a group called the Pineapple Express. Mm-hmm. It's a group of ex-Special Forces military that were actually on their own privately funded getting people out. They said, get them to Northgate and we'll get them in with the Americans. So midnight, I, I text Naveed. He gets the kids and they're halfway there and I get a text. And they said, we're overrun. We're getting overrun by Taliban. Tell them to turn around, turn around. Mm. So they, they're halfway there. They're dodging check stops, uh, Taliban check stops all along the way. So they ended up going back. And that was back in August. So they've actually been hiding out since that time. And that's what kind of precipitated this. So, I mean, it, it just wasn't sustainable to keep them hiding you know, for indefinitely. So, Spencer, what was it? What was that final straw that broke the back that said you, that made you decide that you needed to go to Dubai, then Pakistan, then Afghanistan to help this family? Well, just on on a personal level, I have a really difficult time just sitting around on my hands. So it was like, okay, you wait, you wait, you wait. And I just, just kind of a, a personal mantra is like, if it's not going to happen, let's make it happen. So that whole journey, I had applied for a Pakistani visa that was in the process for months. So when I made the, the trip to Dubai, I still didn't have a, a visa to get into Pakistan, but I just felt like, you know what? It's kind of like the old adage, jump. This is my theory is jump and a net will appear. And it, it was successful at least so far on, on this, on this, you know, trip. So I went to Dubai, was there probably about a week and then ended up actually securing a Pakistani visa. So I got into Pakistan. So, okay, I'm right next door. So, and then I, I, I was able to attain, uh, in a small miracle, um, just I, I used my my um, my um, status as, as an author, so talked to the Afghan embassy, and then I got into Afghanistan. And it was like when something like this happens, Jalen. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole network of people that you know have, have come together that I can't mention. So it's not like I did this all by myself. There's a whole bunch of people that did some really amazing things. That contacted people and set up you know uh, drivers and set up. You know, uh, people to know to know someone that knows someone that's going to be able to get the visa, and so they were really close. The Safi family was really close a number of times, and so I was just like, okay, if this doesn't happen, then we'll make it happen. Indeed. So I I went in and it was um, we had we had it set up, and it just the timing worked out right. So when I got there, we got him into the the, the transport into the van and they, they made the journey. Now, something that was a little bit, some of my friends thought I was, uh, I was not with them. And the reason for that, Jalen, is the, the trip from Kabul to uh, a city called Jalalabad was, was fairly, it was during the daytime, but between Jalalabad and Torkham Gate, which is where we got them to into Pakistan, is ISIS controlled area. So, and there's lots of check stops 
they get they get stopped all the time. So you have to kind of measure as much as I want to support and be with the family. There comes a point where I would have become a liability because if we go to a check stop and they see a white guy, it's not going well for anybody. Like, um, so it was advised, look at like, you got to take one for the team and, and not make this journey. So set them off. I guess it would have been so last night mm-hmm. or yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It was yesterday morning. Um, and, you know, all along the way, just, uh, communicating with them and we, we got them across and they are now in the safe house hiding in Pakistan, much safer than, than, than um, Afghanistan. We're not totally out of the woods yet, but um, we're sur- what I would say is we're probably 75% of the way there. So, so now comes the very unsexy part of trying to do the, the, the necessary paperwork to get them asylum and refugee status into Canada. So, Spencer, I just want to backtrack a little bit. So you you got to Kabul, um, and uh, can, can you explain to us what happened between Kabul and Torquem Gate? Like, how, how did, who took them there? How did they get there? And for those who don't understand what that gate is, just how very dangerous and really the luck of the draw it is, whether or not you're going to get through or not. Yes, yes. So um, basically it's a van. I, I can't disclose who the driver is, who it's set up. This is what they do. It's a hired driver, though. It's it's someone who's hired to do this? Correct, correct. So so this is someone that that's, so they know. So it could be, Jalen, like you're, you're in this vehicle. You do not talk to the driver. There are times where if they've got to go and you got to go to the bathroom, then you just go to the bathroom because they, they know the, the area. They know how to navigate it. Um, so that part, I don't even know their name. It's set up to an intermediary uh, who's set up to someone who knows someone. So that's how that was all set up. And so basically, you, you take them to the van, a little white van. You give them hugs and kisses, and they close the door, and off they go. Um, it was it was in the morning time. They made it to Jalalabad, and then what well, what they did is they stayed in Jalalabad. They got there like eleven at night or something, and then at three in the morning they made the final push from Jalalabad to Torkham Gate. Now that is this extremely dangerous area because it's ISIS controlled. There's check stops. There's multiple check stops, and then you also have got the danger of there's been suicide bombers at, at the gate. There's, I mean, if, if people, I don't think people may not understand, if you're out of line here, it's, it's not a tongue-lashing, lashing, you, you'll get shot mm-hmm. in a very literal sense. So it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not, you've got to do exactly. And then once you're at the gate, sometimes it's lined up for kilometers and kilometers to actually get in with vehicles. And then the key is the porters will come and get people and then actually walk them through a gate. And they're kind of the people that kind of know who is who and can get people across. And um, there are, I'm sure there are palms greased. I didn't personally witness this, but there's there's all sorts of, you know, um, alleged nefarious activities at the border to get people across. 
So when a family, like the Safi family, is at the gate, what is the chances of them getting through? Well, there's, well first of all, there, there's lots of times where it's days and days. So when I was here in, in Pakistan, I went to, um, to meet some other refugee fellows that I didn't know. I heard they were here, so I, I, they were also in a safe house, so I just went to chat with them just to get kind of a, a lay of the land and, and kind of figure out what's going on. And I think they were at Torgham Gate, I think, for three days. And they were getting through, and one guy uh, of the group, for whatever reason, he got turned back. You're not mm-hmm. getting in. It's, it's a Pakistani country where they say goes. Whether you know who comes in, who comes out. So I don't, I don't know why this individual was not let in. Um, but no, it's it it can it certainly happens. But in terms of the Pakistanis, I mean, you've got basically an entire country trying to do a mass exodus. Yeah, you know, to all pour over into Pakistan is is putting a, a, you know a lot of undue pressure on them as well. But it's really the luck of the draw. It's like a 50-50 chance if you're getting through that gate or not. Well, it, it is, Jamin, but there's also ways that you can mitigate that. And it's through um, transactional enterprises. Yeah. It's through knowing people and having, to, to be blunt, you know, palms greased. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that on, on you know, on, on public radio. But that's, that's the... That's the the, the truth of the matter is, you know, it's something. Sometimes these things are taken care of ahead of time. I think just to show up at, at the gate, you know, may not happen. Mm. But, I mean, it's starting to ease up a little bit now. I think if you've got the proper documentation, like if you've got a passport, a proper visa, that it's starting to to become normalized somewhat. Um, but certainly, when when this whole venture started. It was it was bedlam at the gates, and there was there was people getting killed at the gates. There was suicide bombers at the gates. There was people getting shot at the gates. So it it wasn't for the um, for the lighthearted for sure. So Spencer, how how nervous were you waiting to hear the news? Well, yeah. Well, it was. I mean, I felt confident just because we. We, we had the, the network kind of established and I knew who was involved. And so I felt confident that the, the only, well, not the only nervous, the main part for me was between Jalalabad and Targum Gate. Mm. It, it, I, I felt that if they could make it through there, um, then I, I felt the chances were, were pretty good. So it was like just communi- communicating back and forth with me the whole time. It was like, okay, like this, this stuff, this box is ticked and this box is ticked and, and, and just as we went. And then when they were at the gate, they, I guess they were at the gate for a really long time, but I knew when, when you sent a picture, I knew that they were getting in. And then, you know, you got that text that they were in and it's like, yes. So all the months and months of hiding, of coming close, of being told, probably close to a half dozen times, Jalen, okay, be ready because they're going to come and get you, you know, tomorrow at, at noon. There was a matter of fact, there was a time when Kabul, when they were at the airport, I got a text from the Americans saying, we will not leave them behind. You can mm-hmm. let them know 100%, rest assured, they're not getting left behind. 
and they got left behind. So they, you know, you only do that so many times and they start to become skeptical. And that, that was one of the reasons why I'm like, okay, if this isn't going to happen, I'm going to make it happen to be, we'll figure it out when I'm there. And that's, you know, one of the things that, that precipitated me to go is just because they had, they've been promised and they got so close so many times. So this was finally it. So, and, um, so yeah, huge relief. Spencer, you, you said when you received the text from Naveed that we're through and you just said, yes, was it, was it, was it a louder? Yes. When you heard, was it like, ah, yes. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, just kind of the way I'm wired, Jalen, it was like oh, more of a, more of a big, not being loosened in my chest and a big, nice sigh out. But the very next second is, okay, what's next? Yeah. What are we going to do next? Because I know we're not there yet. And then it was, okay, this is great. Okay, so now we're going to get him to the safe house. Now is the safe house set up properly for them? Are they going to have food there? You know, just just that, that, that simple fact of you got three kids. If you show up after traveling all day and there's no food in that house, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just those very pragmatic things. So my my mind, I had about a half of a second of, of celebration before I went on to the next. And, you know, <laughs> some friends of mine that have been really supportive through this and, and my, my beautiful wife, they're like, oh, you, you did it. And it's, no, no, we haven't yet. Like, this is huge. And this is a, a massive step, but until we get them safe in Canada or the United States or some other safe country, this isn't done. But I mean, certainly a, a huge stage in it, for sure. Uh, what, how is, how are Naveed and Michelle feeling right now? What are they saying? Well, I, I think they're tired, right? So I, I think they're tired and they're, you know, it's it's just kind of a, um, a you know a shock to the system. So here you are, and, and I think being, you know, parents to, you know, a three, five, and a six-year-old, there's that whole very real thing of you know just keeping the kids together, keeping, you know, that you know Maslow's hierarchy, keep keep your physiology put together, you know, and so right now they're resting, sleeping, and then we'll we'll start the next stages tomorrow. Um, I'll, I'll go out there tomorrow um, and make sure that they're set up. So I, I think where I am next is once we get them set up, you know, I'm going to try and make it home to be at home for Christmas for my six-year-old. And, you know, um, this part of my job is then now, now, like I said, is, is the, the not fun part of, of I'm trying to get the bureaucracy out of the way and, and, and trying to get them, you know, refugee status and asylum here in Canada. Yeah, and that's going to be um, a long we, process, we isn't it? That. it? It will be. It will be. But you know what I mean? I just, we've come this far, and and I told maybe like, he's got some fantastic American friends as well because he's such a, an amazing individual. Like, he's just such a likable, calm through this whole thing. Like, I'm talking to him real time and someone gets shot in front of him and he's like, and I'm like, Oh my God. Or we're talking and there's gunfire going off around him when, when he was at the airport and he's, it didn't even say, mm. I'm like, Oh my God, they're shooting. And he's like very calm. 
but just his demeanor. He's he's such a he's such a wonderful man. He's made friends with all the different you know nationalities that went and taught in Ashiana or were involved. So he's got some great American friends that are really advocating for him in the states as well. So you know, kind of, I told him which, whichever comes first. If he's got an opportunity to, to resettle in the United States, it's a wonderful place. So we, we will jump at that. Lots of work ahead on, on that it front. It would be nice. Well, for sure. It would be nice if Canada, you know, took, took the lead on this one. I mean, this is, to be honest, this is where he wants to come. Mm-hmm. He, he wants to come to Canada. He's told me that. But I told him, you know, United States is nice. There's lots of nice places there as well. And they'd be happy to have someone like, like you and, and Michelle. It'd be, you know, amazing participants in, in their in whatever society they, they they become a part of and productive members. Spencer, I know you've had uh, an, a number of incredibly long days and, and really off-the-charts kind of crazy, did-that-just-happen kind of days. I just have a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind, before I before I let you go and get some sleep, much-needed sleep. Oh, for sure. No, no, this is... You... You talk about your wife and your son. How difficult was it for you to say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm going to Afghanistan to help this family," and and probably knowing that there was a huge danger to you. I mean, that first off, I mean, bless your wife's heart and your son's heart, but boy, oh boy, that that's a that's a that's a. Mm, huge decision for a family to make. Well, I've got to tell you, I I won, I won the, the lottery when I when I married my wife. It's like, it's she's just an amazing, and they say behind every guy, you know, there's an amazing woman, and that's certainly the case. I mean, her, she's, you know, she's a chiropractor, so she's running a clinic, she's raising, you know, a six year old, she's running an acreage, she's doing snow <laughs> removal. She's booking my flights and my hotels and all sorts of stuff and and being supported through the whole thing and really I mean just an amazing woman and I, I, I couldn't be luckier to have her as my wife and even more than that she supports the drive that I have to help people and to help people in need she understands that 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 uh, I felt really compelled about this and you know what I mean, hmm. you don't know till you do it. And then as soon as you're, you know, you're on your journey, God, I miss my family so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I just miss them so much. And, you know, my little guy, like I said, I, I'm hoping to get home for Christmas. And you know what? It's that there's a lot of hard stuff that, that happened through this whole, you know, uh, venture or ordeal. But one of the hardest is you miss your family. Yeah. For sure, and I mean, I, like I said, I'm just unlucky, and it's very, very fortunate that I have them. And Kristen's got the support of her mom and dad that, that helps mm. as well. Spencer, you you had a couple run in run ins with the Taliban when you were there. Can you tell us about that? Oh my gosh, yeah. So I I was told that you know what, that you're probably going to be pretty safe because they don't want an international incident. 
the Canadians knew I was going in. They weren't happy about me going in. And I, and I understand that they don't want an international, some, you know, guy going in and, and, and causing some, some sort of mischief. Um, but just you stand out so profoundly when, when you're North American and you're white. So I think it was a couple of days ago, we, we got pulled over to a check stop. So I felt as though, you know, I had that, that they're not going to, at least on, in a general level, you know, that you're, they're not going to want to create an incident. But having said that, when you're in, it is so unbridled there. I, I can't even, I've been to a lot of places like Somalia, the West Bank, uh, Haiti, all sorts of places before, but I've never, ever been anywhere with this sort of like unpredictable, unbridled energy. Like you've got truckloads of, of Taliban, you know, 15, 12, 15 of them loaded in the back of a pickup truck, all guns, like with masks on. And when you get that many guns and that many young guys that are, are, are full of um, whatever they're full of, mm-hmm. you know, crazy things happen. So we're driving along. I get, we get pulled over at the check stop. They see they got a white guy. I get pulled over. And I wasn't scared as much as like my feelings were just super my sensations are super heightened. So like guns drawn. And again, Nadid is cool. Like it's just a day in the life. I'm from Canada. And, you know, as much as hunters like their guns, it's not every day that you get drugged out of a car and you've got like machine guns and guns pointed at you. It was a little unnerving. And then they're yelling just really aggressively. But I guess what they were saying is like, we're not going to hurt you. I didn't <laughs> know that. But so then what they did was, so that was a little bit unnerving. So they, they put me back in the car. The two other individuals, uh, they got kicked out of the car. So I get Taliban and now all in the vehicle with their machine guns and the be driving. And they take me to my hotel. Hmm. And the Taliban comes into the guns and everything. They go past the security to the front. I didn't even check in, so they go to the front front desk, check me in, walk me up to my room with the machine gun in the room, and then and then they they went on their way. So they were claiming that they just wanted to see me safely at the hotel, but not knowing that again, it was a, it was a pretty harrowing experience for sure. Wow. Um... You had a very bizarre dinner as well when you were there. Oh my god! So, so again, in one of those these crazy, all sorts of crazy things sometimes happen when you you know when you travel. So I, I met a guy in Dubai, fantastic, amazing individual, a Canadian, who has done what 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 I was doing, and so I was put in touch with him. And so we met when I was in Dubai and he was kind of giving me the step-by-step of what to do and what not to do. I end up in Kabul and I text him and he said, well, I'm actually in Kabul. And it's like, are you kidding me? Hmm. I said, well, do you want to come for dinner tonight? And I said, sure. So he sent his driver, picked me up for dinner and then we went to this restaurant. So I met 
I met him there, and there was, you know, a handful of other people. And then in comes, you know, these mullahs, war boys, whatever you want to talk about. And I didn't know this was happening. So the kind of the who's who of the Taliban of Kabul were at this dinner. And then behind them is this whole row of, you know, um, Mujahideen, fierce-looking fighters, machine guns. And I thought they were just going to say, no, they sit down with us. <laughs> so we're having a dinner with the Taliban, which... Um, to know, to get, this is an entirely different show, Jim, but it's like the Afghan people, once you get in with them, you become like family and they will, they, they will fiercely protect you. So that's kind of part of the whole rationale is to befriend them and to show them that you are trying to do good things. Huh. And I think that was kind of the, the, the purpose of the dinner is to, to get acquainted, but it was it was unlike any dinner I have ever had where you got guys, you know, you're breaking bread with guys that are just, you know, with machine guns between their legs everywhere. And then the whole restaurant was surrounded with, uh, you know, guys with machine guns as well. It was, it was unlike a dinner that I have ever had before. Did, did you ever at any time when at this dinner or when you were in the car with the Taliban that were taking you to the hotel think to yourself, if they know what I'm doing here, I'm going to end up dead? Yeah, yeah, but I just, you know what, I just, okay, just one step in front of the other, don't say anything, ABC, always be cool, and yeah, I mean, you just don't, right? So... Spencer, last question for you here. Um, when you look back at your time in Afghanistan specifically, your your time over the past week uh, in, in Kabul, what will you remember the most? I mean, I, I don't think most of us, 99% of us listening to this, probably 99.9% of the people listening to this have any idea of what Kabul is like right now, what Afghanistan is like right now. When you look back and you reflect back on, on your time over the past week, what are you going to remember? Well, first of all, like when you wake up in the morning and you look and, and they had an unusual snowfall, which, which isn't common, to look at the majestic, especially in the morning before the pollution kind of sets in and the, and the sun is, uh, it's like, what a beautiful city. Like it's poor it's rubble, but I mean, it is, the setting is really majestic and you've got this, you know, dichotomy of this beautiful, majestic, you know, these mountains, you know, set against this bright blue sky. And then when you go out, you've got, it's almost going back in time, Jim. And so you've got people pulling old carts with old, you know, wagon wheels. And then you've got the, the machine guns, the, the, the soldiers, the, the Mujahideen fighters everywhere. It's, it's, it's an energy that I would describe. I've got nothing, you know, concrete to base this on, but my senses, it's a place that's ready to explode. It's the energy there, and there's just so much angst. And so probably those two things is, you know, juxtapose of the, the physical natural beauty and yet simmering underneath is this really like 
when you say the Wild West, it really doesn't do it justice. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been to some pretty lawless places before, but nothing like this, Jim, nothing with this sort of energy. And it's like, like it's, it, it feels to me that it's ready to explode. That's the way that I would describe it. Well, Spencer, I... Most people would know this, or no one would know this, but we have been in contact uh, with each other um, through this entire journey over the past, what, five, six months, five months now. I want to thank you, first off, for for sharing this journey with me and um, giving me insight into what is going on. Um, It was the greatest news when I woke up to hear that the family had finally made it through to Pakistan. I know there's a long way to go yet, but boy, oh boy, it was uh, it was a relief and makes me all teary, to be honest with you. Um, but thank you for that, and, and thank you for our friendship that we've developed all through this as well. I, I appreciate it, and I still think that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did this, but boy, oh boy, I'm so glad that there are humans in this world who are willing to try to get things done like you just did. Well, first of all, happy birthday. And <laughs> I, I got to tell you, Jalen, it, 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 it's like one of those serendipitous things that just kind of unfolds where we were going to do an interview anyway. And then just as this was happening and it's like this story is tailor made for you. And it meant a lot to me as well to have you on this journey with me. And so like, I remember when we were at Kabul, it's like I'm sending I'm sending Jalen Texas like the suicide bombers are coming, they've got to get ten kilometers away and I'm sending it to you and you're like, Oh my God. It was like a, a you know, a real life movie as, as you and I were going through this together and it was also for me, it was cathartic for me as well, Jalen, to have someone a friend, someone I would now call a friend mm-hmm. to, you know, go on this journey with and that you know, you were with me every step of the way. So, you know, you kind of need the whole story going forward. So it was, it goes both ways, Jalen. So I, I certainly appreciate your support during this as well. Spencer, safe travels home. Thank you so much for this today. Thanks, thanks for everything, Jalen.